How do you pay, man? Huh? If you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Straight cash, homie. Well, all right. Yeah. ten grand to me. Yeah. You know, ever since I turned pro in 1989, when I signed the dotted line, it was strange. Things change for the better and for the worse. So I called my mama and she said, baby, Welcome back to episode number 14 of the Straight Cash Homie Podcast. That's right, 14 episodes deep here on the Straight Cash Homie Podcast. My name is Neil Rule, local sports broadcaster in the Detroit area. Welcome in the brains of the operations and agent with Pivotal Sports Management, also the purveyor of the Evans Law Group, one of the best labor lawyers in the game today. He is Cameron Evans, and Cam, appreciate you uh, lending your expertise to everything going on in the world of cash, in the world of sports. How are you, my friend? I am fantastic. It is that time of year. March Madness is going on. We're sitting up here in Michigan thinking about the Masters around the corner, and I start thinking about the color green when I look at the Masters, and I think about the color of green, I think about one thing, money, and money and how it has its uh, influence uh, on the sports world. Absolutely, and you can subscribe on iTunes, also on SoundCloud as well. Do us a favor, click subscribe. All the phone, all the episodes will download straight to your phone. You don't have to work to get it that way. Also, too, if you're if you're so kind, you know, jump on there, uh, rate us, review us, do all that type of stuff too. Uh, iTunes puts a lot of stock into that stuff, so help us out and uh, go ahead and do that as well. But as we mentioned, episode number fourteen, you talked about it. The color green for spring, the NFL draft, right around the corner. Speaking of green in the NFL, certainly in the new as well in today's episode we're going to get into it and it's something that we've talked about a lot on the straight cash homie podcast of course the Le'Veon Bell saga has come to a close that's something we've talked about a lot also we're going to talk about television deals as well and what's going on in terms of the Pac-12 network because the Pac-12 network really let's just be honest about it has lagged behind the Big Ten network and lagged behind the SEC network as far as uh, revenue so we'll certainly touch on that as well as a Pac-12 network trying to cut a little side deal uh, with ESPN. But first, Le'Veon Bell, the story, and you can go back through our past episodes and, and get caught up with everything going on with Le'Veon Bell. But the dust has settled. Cam, four years, $52.5 million, $25 million of that guaranteed, a record for the running back position in terms of guaranteed money. So I will pose the question to you, Cam, because, hey, we're, we're very much in a black-and-white society, right? It, there, there seems to be no gray area. There's, there's one side, the right side, and if you're not on the right side, you're the wrong side. Who won this Le'Veon Bell saga? Well, I'm going to be in the middle. Depends on how you define, you know, winning. Bingo. That's, uh, there's a lot of things here. You know, it's multifaceted. So let's put it on from the standpoint of uh, the player standpoint and Le'Veon's uh, perspective. Um, you know, he was adamant. Um, that he wanted to be able to call his own shots and decide to, um, to the extent the free market was going to dictate where he was going to play. Um, that can have a huge appeal for people because, you know, there's plenty of people in our listening audience and, you know, you and I sitting in here that the times in our lives when we say, gee, maybe we should go work someplace else. Maybe I should try to go take my skills and go to South, to South Beach. Beach. <laughs> <laughs> I knew where you were going. Yeah, there that you one. go. Um, and in you know in the NFL of all you know all the the wonderful things that players get out of it, uh, and, and this, even the you know and the stars they get. The one thing that Le'Veon was missing was the opportunity to go test the free agency and see what he could do out in the free market because he kept getting the franchise tag, um, and he drew a line in the sand uh, to say I'm. I'm going to turn down some big money and big guaranteed money. 
um, at least initially on the franchise tag. So that was going to be a single year, nothing outside of that. And then he reports of a multi-year offer with more guaranteed money from Pittsburgh than, than the 25 mil he got guaranteed out of the Jets. And you look at it and you say, why did he did it? Why did he do it? You know, and you, you want to be able to control your destiny. You want to be able to participate in free agency. He might, this might be his only shot at free agency. He is one injury away of being retired and not having an opportunity to go the free agent route. This may be his last contract. You don't know. Um, he wants to be able to come out and set the table for other running backs. He wants to take, be the point person to say, okay, I'm going to go out there and demand 17 mil, see what we get, um, and see what the price does for that position as a whole in the salary cap era. And, you know, running backs, there's a risk. You know, they're, you know, NFL is not for long. It's certainly not for long for running backs because – Especially. Yeah, because of, you know, what they do, how they do, and, and, and the wear and tear of the body. And you are an injury away from losing a half a step, and losing a half a step in the NFL can make you disposable, especially at a uh, significant price tag. So he got 25 mil guaranteed. You and I have talked about guaranteed contracts in the NFL before. Somebody gives you 25 mil guaranteed, are you going to say you're a loser? Hard, nope. to, hard to say that you're a loser there, uh, you know, and and he got to be able to participate and decide where where he wanted to end up. Now, did he make the right choice? Did he leave money on the table? Sounds like he left some money on the table at Pittsburgh. It sounded like he didn't like it in Pittsburgh anymore. He wanted to get the heck out of there. Well, right. so be it, you know. Um, you know, the team's won because he didn't, you know, if you're looking at it, he didn't get what he wanted, and he left money on the table. Um you know, Le'Veon, though, the next time he goes into contract negotiations, if he's fortunate enough to have another go-around for a contract negotiation, owners are going to know he's a man of his word. He's committed. He tells you something. He's not bluffing. He'll, uh, he'll die on the hill for it. He, he will. Yeah. Um, and it's not for him. It sounds like he has, you know, you know, greater aspirations here from the standpoint of doing it in behalf of not only the other current running backs who are going to benefit, for, but running backs who are going to come to the league. And where is this going to be five, ten years down the road, uh, how is this going to impact the next collective bargaining negotiation? Because franchise tag is going to be a big issue, you know. Especially you get a situation where you know you're, you're, you're franchising a running back who has a very limited career, as opposed to franchising a place kicker. Uh, there's less risk that place kicker is going to have a career-ending injury sure. during that year. So no question about it. And this was something that you and I have talked about in the past as well. And again, I encourage you to go back through the archives because money is always a always a relevant topic here on the Straight Cash Homie Podcast. Again, uh, click subscribe on iTunes, also on SoundCloud as well. He is Cameron Evans of Pivotal Sports Management. My name is Neil Rule. Happy to be with you here today in episode number 14. But Cam, as we look at that and something that we have touched on in the past, and, and you've said the D-Day is coming. And it, it's not tomorrow, it's not next week, it's not next month, it's not in the middle of the season, but way back, way out on the horizon, the D-Day is coming. And Le'Veon Bell, from what it sounds like, and if you get an opportunity to, I highly recommend you read the story by Jenny Rentas that she put in Sports Illustrated this week. Very uh, cool cover, Sports Illustrated, too. Le'Veon Bell at the poker table, throwing the chips in the air, which I thought was very, very good. They said why Le'Veon Bell went all in on himself. In the back of Le'Veon Bell's mind, and I'm sure in the back of a lot of, maybe not necessarily in a lot of players' mind, but a lot of players' agents' mind, is the fact that, as you said, this, this upcoming labor negotiation that's going to go on, these lines in the sand that players draw 
could have a very lasting impact on what happens, could have an impact on what happens when the labor agreement comes up. And Le'Veon Bell talked about it in the the historian Sports Illustrated where I want to be the guy that took a stand and said this is what our position commands because I don't think it's crazy for a running back to ask for $17 million a year when you have wide receivers making 19, and he's not wrong. Well, I don't know if he's right or wrong. That's for the market to go out there and dictate, but I can certainly understand his approach. And is it a passing league? Is it a running league? Is it a defensive league? I mean, you look at the Super Bowl, and it's going to be like, well, defense won that. Um, but, you know, part of this is that the perception out there is that it is a passing league. And therefore, your wide receivers, all of a sudden, your tight ends have become a greater commodity to go out there and suck up more of the salary cap. Your, um, you know, your safeties, your corner covers, um, those are positions now that are, you know, worth more. Edge rushers, because you got to be able to disrupt the passing game. And so, you know, you're you're in a situation right now in this ebb and flow of the NFL and is it offense is it a defensive league is it a running league is it a passing league right now the you know perception is it's more of a passing league and so those individuals will command more of the money because they are going to have a greater impact on the games that are get played than potentially the running back um, and the running back also seems to be a situation where you have a greater chance of being able to plug somebody in out of college to be a workable NFL running back. An all-star? Maybe, maybe not. But you're going to be able to go in there and have something that fits within your offensive scheme to be productive. Um, and you don't have those as as many in the wide receiver. You can get into the elite, you know, the elite category. Um, but it it all comes back to where do owners, how do owners, how do the GMs want to spend their salary cap, which keeps going up year in and year out, so they have more money to do it. But he did. He wanted to go out there and say, why can't we make as much money as wide receivers? And what we found out is that they're still not going to make as much money as wide receivers currently under the way that the NFL is run. Yeah, and Le'Veon Bell has a unique perspective on this because this is a guy that's caught 160 passes the last two years that he's played. So, I mean, he, he certainly impacts the game as far as that goes. So I can understand – uh, what his point of contention is with these contracts. And I do talk radio here on the Fox Sports Radio affiliate in town in Detroit. And, and I was a guy because I, I've always been a player's guy. I've always been a guy that takes up for the players. And because I don't side with the billionaires <laughs> a, lot, a lot of the times. And for whatever reason, it seems and, – and you can debate the reasons. Is it because fans are loyal to the jersey or they're loyal to the brand as opposed to the guy wearing the jersey or the guy employed by the brand? And I, and I get all of that. I, I, I certainly do understand that because – I was called out and said, well, after this contract was signed, did Le'Veon Bell win, Neil? I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, what, what you talked about, he didn't get. But it, as it turns out, and this is just me speculating right here, and, and your response will probably be speculation on your part as well because you, you weren't in on the negotiations, but I suspect that I way, under, I way undervalued his, I don't want to call it necessarily, his, his contractual freedom that he didn't want to be a part of the Steelers anymore, that he got to call the shots. And that was worth more than money to him. In retrospect, again, my opinion, I believe that that his contractual freedom and his free agency was worth more than money to him because of this quote-unquote stand he was taking. But I believe that he thinks he won because he got what he wanted. 
That's what you you know seems to be reading in the press. No, is he being honest? I don't know. I mean, is it does he sit here and have buyer's remorse? I should have taken the deal with the Steelers because I left money on the table. He bet on himself, which you always got to applaud somebody who's going to go bet on himself. Absolutely. Right. Sometimes it pans out, and guess what? You're going away with a huge stack of chips. Look at Max Scherzer. He bet on himself last year in Detroit, didn't sign the long-term deal, said, I'm going to test free agency, went and, out there and rocked it his last year in Detroit. And made $70 more million. That's right. I'm going to bet on myself instead of uh, instead of doing it. Um, and so Le'Veon said, I'm going to bet on myself. Does he have some buyer's remorse? That Guess what? I, you know, I, I should have stayed with the Steelers because I'm turned down money that I had in my pocket. Grass is always greener someplace else. Or is he like, okay, I'm happy with this because I got to have this play out. And it was a game of poker. There's no guarantee. And he did not have a guarantee that he was going to make as much or more than what the Steelers put on there. But he wanted to go and say, I want to give it a shot, and I'm going to walk. And it certainly sounds like at this point in time, he wanted to be in a different venue than Heinz Field. And And he is now. And you, you can always go back to the discussions as well and say, hey, you're in New York. Uh, there's certainly more opportunity for ancillary income. Maybe that plays a part in it as well, that you can maybe bridge some of that gap because you are in New York City. Uh, certainly you're a little more visible than you would be in Pittsburgh. I mean, that's not a shot at the city of Pittsburgh. I'm just going by economics here that have proven out over over a stretch of time. So, so Lisa, and Am, Cam, take me through that thought process in those discussions as a, as a guy who who's in that labor law world, I mean, when when you advise clients or when when you're in these types of situations, you have to look at the totality of the situation. The, the only income isn't just necessarily what's coming from the Jets, right? That's something I, I would assume was discussed a time or two. Well, yeah, I need to look at what type of you know marketing deals he's going to get. Um, you know, he, he gets money off every jersey sale. So I mean, how many jerseys he's going to go sell in that area now? Uh, because that's all new money to him. Um, that's another collective party. I mean, they, they, they get a part of that. League gets a part of that for jersey sales and other you know type of merchandise. You look at it, you go from his standpoint, you know, where am I going to go and have the best chance for success on the football field? Because it's all meaningless if, you know, they're all competitors, they want to win. Mm-hmm. You know, if he, if he is able to go into a system, you assume he's going to get a ton of touches, either from handoffs, or in the passing game, eighty-five receptions the last year he played. And you got you got a second-year quarterback who looks like he's going to be a you know a, a decent to above decent quarterback in the NFL. Don't know how these things are always going to shake out, but he is a safety valve. He can be an integral part of the passing game there. Um, and you look at it if if they were able to get the Jets, who have been on a very long dismal streak from the standpoint of fan expectations in New York City, get them back to the playoffs. What is that going He'll to be do? He'll be a king. Yeah, I mean, and then of ultimately, I mean, if they can get back to their second Super Bowl since Super Bowl three, you know, you look at it, there's a long shot. That's so a bet. You're gambling. But if he's able to do that, yeah, exactly. He becomes, you know, a king of New York, a king of New Jersey, um, and, and has that, um, population density and rabid fan base who has money to spend to be able to go out and do things, and You're, he becomes and he becomes more valuable. 
You're listening to episode number 14 of the Straight Cash Homie Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Straight Cash Pod. Click subscribe on iTunes. Give us a rating, too, if you like it. If you don't like it, uh, let us know what you think about it as well. He is Cameron Evans. My name is Neil Rule. And, and speaking of kings, and we brought up the fact that it was March, somebody who has not been a king uh, in the television world ha- has been the Pac-12 Network. And, uh, again, just to kind of change gears here, but this is relevant. Certainly, uh, Oregon as a 12 seed, has, has made it to the Sweet 16, and, and that hasn't happened enough, quite frankly, for the Pac-12 as of late. But this uh, this was some news that broke out as of late uh, from our friends at awfulannouncing.com. They made mention of the fact that Pac-12 networks uh, were in talks with, with ESPN, and Commissioner Larry Scott was looking to sell a 10% stake in the conference for $500 million to private investors. And... They're trying. What they're essentially trying to do, ESPN was in on this discussion, trying to distribute the Pac-12 network because the moral of the story is, and I've always talked about this, Cam, I always bring this right back to the common guy, and I'm the common guy. I don't watch shows. I'll watch the Firefest documentary on Netflix like everybody else. I, I get a kick out of that kind of stuff. But I don't watch shows for the most part. I watch games, and I've cut the cord to do it. And I will, I will watch the baseball package, the NBA league pass, all that stuff the Big Ten Network through through Fox and, and however you guys consume that. But I have not come across an easy way to get the Pac-12 Network. And I couldn't tell you, really outside of maybe Fubo Television, how, how you can do that in terms of watching the Pac-12. Now, a lot of people certainly are, are, have shared my viewpoint, and I think that this move by the Pac-12 in, in trying to partner up with ESPN, now obviously the, the negotiations fell through, in that ESPN had a number, the Pac-12 had a number, and those two numbers, as often in the business world, Cam, uh, did not intercede, did not match up, so so no agreement was taken. But I'm of the opinion, looking at this from the outside, not having any intimate knowledge, if I'm the Pac-12 network, again, just going by the fact that I'm, and there are some reasons for this, but going off the fact that I'm the everyday common fan, if I were the Pac-12 network, I would have done this because distribution is the key. If I, sitting here in Detroit, cannot consume your games and I'm an active an active consumer that you're looking to engage especially with kids I get them to bed you know I, I finally get a chance to decompress around 10 o'clock right around the time those games are starting I'm a I'm a very pivotal demographic that that you're trying to reach as you look at this cam the the Pac-12 network and what they were trying to do one thing's for sure they are lacking behind the Big Ten network they are lacking behind the SEC network it has not been the financial you know, boon that they figured it would be. No, it's not. It, it appears not to be um, meeting their expectations, not getting them the return on investment that they were hoped for. Um, I would assume saying that is just the degree of success because I bet they're still making money off their Pac-12 network. Schools are still having additional income flow to them. It's just not at the rate that um, they were expecting, that schools were expecting. Um, you know, we can we can speculate and noodle on why that is, uh, but the practical implication is that you have some potential schools there who could be identified as pickoff targets by other conferences, and then the enticement can be, guess what? We have a um, ability to get you more through. Uh, you know the the conference's TV network, 
um, or other things that you're going to look at. Is it, is, it, is it bad enough that, you know, you're going to get somebody that's going to pull out? Is a USC or UCLA going to say, guess what? We're going to go Texas, and we're just going to have our own network. Um, but that, that was enlightening, and, and, it, and it shows that it, even when conferences are having record years revenue-wise and will continue to do so, that there is not enough money ever. <laughs> and they right. are looking, how can we continue to grow the top line? Because they know their bottom line is going to grow, too, with expenses. You know, we got we got the ruling from the federal court out in California that says, basically, guess what? It's going to be sent an open market on what you're going to value and be able to pay incoming athletes for their educational costs associated. Um, so we have a little bit of bidding market, bidding process and market on that once that's all finally shaked out through appeals. Um, but there's going to be costs that are going to go up. Uh, but they are always looking to grow their top line. And if you're a commissioner, that's what you're going to be you're going to be judged by you know they have long-term deals but they have no lifelong contracts to be commissioners uh, but this is something that obviously is a concern to them and they are looking at um, a fact that they they do not believe that they can grow it by themselves at the same rate they could grow it if they brought in private investors and, and that's really where they stand right now. And just to bring everybody up to speed, the current TV rights deal that the Pac-12 has with Fox and ESPN ends in 2024. And the way it sits right now, the Pac-12 is getting $3 billion, billion with a B, billion dollars over 12 years from ESPN and Fox. So the rights deal is, is obviously one of their biggest revenue generators. Now, under the term, and I won't bore everybody with the specific numbers and all that kind of stuff, but ESPN was, as part of this deal, taking to look at and extended well into the 2030s. So the Pac-12 network says, hey, this, this is you're not giving us enough money for this. This is essentially the, the shakedown of, of how all this stuff is going on. I just, if I'm the Pac-12, I, I'm taking a real hard look at where we are right now. Three teams in the NCAA tournament. Oregon, the only representation in the Sweet 16, where the ACC has five teams in there. The SEC, I think, has three or four teams in there. The Big Ten has three teams in there. So not only are you losing as far as your network goes and, and the profitability of that network, and it's amazing how closely tied these things are to the other, but it's also amazing how you're taking the L's on the court and on the field right now. And the Pac-12 is just not a factor, Cam. They aren't. I mean, that's that's not Neil Rule's opinion. That's fact. Check the record books. They're not getting it done on the court and on the field right now. And, and as we've talked about throughout the course of our 14 episodes of, of the Straight Cash Homie podcast, that has the biggest impact on, on your bottom line in terms of money. Right. And you look at the two revenue-generating sports, basketball and men's, men's basketball and football, they have been dismal and have been dismal for a while. And then you get the, the, the impact of, you had mentioned it, 10 o'clock at night. You know, east. So you're thinking Eastern Standard Time Zone, Central Standard Time Zone. You know, what is available to the population? And it is a heavily populated part of the country. What's available now to you at 10 o'clock at night, sports-wise? You want to watch a game. You know, if you're sitting here in the Midwest and you're a Big Ten fan, you got the Big Ten Network. In addition to whatever ESPN, Fox, they're throwing on the late games, you know, tips are here at 9 o'clock. No right. Joke. They're stretching it backwards. Exactly. So so the ability to consume local product 
at 10 o'clock at night Eastern, 11 o'clock at night Eastern, has gone up remarkably in the last decade and will continue to go up as the SEC, Big Ten Networks, your you know Fox Sports, ESPN, um, whatever it is, is going to continue to give content that these people want. So if you have a you have a chance to watch um, an SEC um, you know uh, documentary, so to speak, you know on you know let's follow a basketball team around for a week, you know, uh, or you're gonna go watch um, Cal versus Oregon State basketball at 11 at night. Now, if you're sitting west of the east of the Mississippi, you're probably going to be inclined to maybe go to the SEC you're or the fo- Big Ten Network. They're following John Calipari around. Who's not going to watch that? I, I, exactly, you know, and, and and so their audience draws less, and they they got to look at it. And and, and 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 to a certain extent, they're like Le'Veon, though. The Pac-12 is betting on themselves. They turned down money from ESPN to, to get them through 2030. All right, That's serious cash. They're saying that when Par- parlayed with the fact, though, too, that the ESPN would step in and help distribute their network, which which I think is whatever money ESPN, whether you value that at fifty million or seventy five million, whatever money monetary value you put in that, I'm past that just from the standpoint of people can find your game now. They can't find your game to watch it. And they're thinking that come twenty twenty four, twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three, that the tables are going to turn. And that they will have positioned themselves so that their viewership and subscribers on, on cable are, are going up. Or if you're going to cut the cord, you're going to do it through Hulu, whatever it is. Um, you're going to be able to go and drive it so their value for the next contract is going to be higher than what it is right now that ESPN wants to pay. Plus, e- whatever distribution rates you're going to get. Is it the right call? I don't know. But Pac-12... As I said, they're betting on themselves that they will do better the longer they hold out and they didn't have to cave to ESPN's offer. And I have no clue sitting here whether or not ESPN's offer was fair, unfair, um, spot on. Um, but, you know, the Pac-12, you know, they look at it. and But they, they have become, in the two revenue-generating sports, pretty much – irrelevant in the last five to seven years it is all dominated from you draw it kind of down the middle of uh, you know down the um well a little bit east of the continental divide but you know you go you go texas up through the dakotas and and go go, east go east and go east and 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 you even you know you look at it you know in football okay you throw in oklahoma but otherwise, you know, Nebraska struggled, Texas has struggled, the old traditional powerhouses. You probably can get close to the Mississippi. If you touch the Mississippi River and go east, that is the focal point for these uh, revenue-generating sports. Absolutely, and that is what we've seen. That's the way that it's panned out, and, and that's just what it is right now. And that's how brands get developed in kids. The kids, we think we consume. Think about the, 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 the teenager out there who is um, an athlete who loves sports and has a potential to sit there and go Division One? So it's a small group of kids. What are they consuming? They're consuming on their phones. They're consuming on the computer. They're consuming things that are typically going to be branded east of the Mississippi right now because of the success rate on the field. And that is cool. You want, where do you want to go? I want to go to Alabama. I want to go to Clemson. I want to go to Ohio State. Huh? I want to go to Texas. You know, you look at basketball. Oh, you know, you, you know, you throw in Louisville. Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky. Yeah. yeah, you know, and that's where this this huge success is. Um, you know, you think if Gonzaga wasn't sitting in the middle of 
Washington. Well, it's not quite in the middle of Washington. Sorry about that for the listeners out there. Um, but, you know, you, you get very isolated out there. Uh, I mean, you've traveled. I've been uh, out And your job doing play-by-play for college right. basketball. You know, you've been out there. You've done the swing on from Southern Cal up through Gonzaga. It, it is, it is a, a hard place to get to. You are on a plane for a very long time. Yeah, so if you imagine Gonzaga was sitting in either the Eastern or Central time zone, how many times that they would be on – National TV. Well, we've seen it. It's Villanova. Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> the Gonzaga of the East, Villanova, has done it. And and look at the brand. Look at what it's done for them. And Gonzaga, who who has been on the, the same stages that Villanova has, has made a Final Four recently, has done all that. The impact just hasn't been there. And you have to you have to be front of mind. Yeah. You have to be. Oh, I mean, just you, you look at it, and even like with the brackets are coming out and everything else, you're like, gosh, you know. Gonzaga, they, should they be a one seed? Where, how much can we trust them? And part of that is that people haven't, not seen, that, them. haven't seen them. Not that the average Joe is going to sit there and get the right call. I mean, should we trust Duke in North Carolina? What should we do with, you know, you know, you go down that list and, and name them. Um, you know, it's not that their call is going to be right. Is that they have consumed so much more information about those other teams right. than they ever have. And this is a team that's Gonzaga. beaten Duke, that, that that beat Duke in Hawaii at, yeah. the, at the beginning of the season. Exactly. But the more you consume, how do you consume it? You consume it through some type of media. Right. And that's all and revenue. And constant presence. And that's all revenue. That, that is exactly not there, right. certainly, with the Pac-12. So, as always, we will keep an eye on that and how everything shakes out with the Pac-12 network. But, man, just – Love talking money with you, Cam. Again, you look down, boom, we've uh, we've made it through another episode, episode number 14. My friend, good job today. Yeah, someday it'd be fun to talk about our money as opposed to somebody else's money. But well, that's, that's my that's my <laughs> goal, Cam, is, is to we do a straight cash homie podcast on the uh, the new contract that Neil Rule has gotten. Uh, hopefully that Cam Evans has negotiated one day. How about that? Amen, brother. <laughs> Cam, appreciate your time. As always, check him out on Twitter at Cam underscore J underscore Evans. Also follow us on Twitter as well, at Straight Cash Pod. Remember, click subscribe on iTunes. Give us a rating. Tell us whether you like it, whether you don't like it, everything as well. Follow us on on SoundCloud. However you're consuming the Straight Cash Homie podcast, we certainly are appreciative that you do. A big thank you to Mike Parsons on the production angle, Dan Gliatt in a production angle as well. And we will be back for episode number 15. We'll be chasing the money here on the Straight Cash podcast. It's what we do for Cam. Cameron Evans. My name is Neil Rule. Thank you for listening to the Straight Cash Homie Podcast. Well, see you later.